Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Welcome back, everybody. We are in part two of annual planning, how to leverage your operating system like EOS, budgeting, forecasting in order to project out the value of your company to tie all of your goals to the target equity valuation. So that way you can see your available distributions between now and that target equity valuation, that timeline, you can see your constraints of like how much money will you have to and cash. I mean, to be able to invest in the strategies, will those strategies grow value? And then we're going to break down actually the process of budgeting and how that could actually slide right into a system like EOS. So how to start with sales and marketing, then go to overhead, how to start with sales and marketing, then go to cost of goods or your operations, and then go into overhead and then how to mathematically tie all three statements together in without you having to do it. So that all the visionaries and all the leaders listening in that are not from finance, you're going to be able to take away from this interview or this conversation, because I'm just talking to myself, is how to actually get the information that you want. Because that's what I want from you is that all of this information is possible if you approach all this the right way, which should make 2024 a heck of a lot less stressful. You're going to have visibility into the future and you're going to know that you're waking up and executing your plan and what to do if you're off target because you can course correct because you got a good plan and the three financial statements tied to your target equity valuation. So let's get started. Everything has to start with the right goal. If we have the target equity valuation at a point in time as the goal and we reverse engineer that goal with the three financial statements, the most important part that we're going to be able to see is the trade-offs that we have in front of us because every business, unless you're a public company that can tell a story where you're constantly funding the growth of your company through the story and then the public investors, if you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely just like me, where I have to generate enough revenue to then have enough profit and enough cash flow to pay my taxes, to be able to reinvest back in the business, take distributions out of the company, all while funding the equity target at a point in time. And unless we have the point A and the point B and the point A and point B connected with the three financial statements, we're not going to get any visibility into the most important questions that we have as business owners, which as a business owner, what I care about is, is my asset growing in equity value? Because I don't want to finance my way up to a large enterprise value and, and be broke because we're bankrupt. So we want to have a target equity valuation. And if we pick a point in time, we're going to be able to then take all three financial statements and specifically the income statement where we can have the normalized EBITDA at a point in time. And then we can reverse engineer all three financial statements and the power that that gives us as a business owner managing an asset. We're able to see the crucial decisions that we have to have in front of us, which is 
Should we reinvest back into the company or should we take distributions out? And how does that impact our ability to fund the growth of the company in the timeline that we want, pay our taxes, and then what funds are available for the operations and therefore the executive team to fund the growth in the right timeline, that it has the right expectations at the right growth rate. So I am absolutely a fanatic of we have to identify our point A, what is the current equity valuation? And we have all three financial statements visible and we're going to connecting it to a point B, the three financial statements and the target normalized EBITDA and all three statements at a point in time and connecting the two because it's going to give us that visibility of working capital, taxes, available distributions and available reinvestment. So that way you can make the decision as an owner of an asset of how much in distributions can or are you able to pull out of the business and how does that impact your ability to fund the growth of the business and fund the projects that your executive team most likely wants so that way they can hit their KPIs, hit their bonuses that are in line with their timeline and your timeline and it's marching through the right goal, that target equity valuation. And the the challenge is that so many people, if we don't have that valuation as an actual target, we could literally be funding growth that doesn't create value. And that's just wasting money that you could be putting in your pocket or you could be reducing the anxiety of all of your team. And I'll tell you what, this is bonus season right now. And uh, I have personal people I know that if you get a bonus and you don't know why or how your job or performance impacted that bonus, it just breeds resentment. People make stuff up and you're paying money for the opposite impact that you want. So our goal, again, for this first part is to identify the target equity valuation at a point in time that we want in the future. So I'm going to use some examples. So if we wanted to go from a million dollars in normalized EBITDA right now, to a $2 million normalized EBITDA in 2030. I mean, that's six years, so I'm just gonna give us a lot of room here. So then we can, we're gonna double the EBITDA and we wanna go from a five multiple to a six multiple. And we want that target equity valuation in 2030 to be $12 million. And right now we're at five. We're assuming no debt, but if you have debt, that is gonna be something that you're gonna hopefully pay a lot of attention to because when you sell your business, you get to keep your cash, pay off the and you have to provide a normal level of working capital. So if you have a lot of debt, that's going to impact your net proceeds. And just to be clear, this is not about selling the business today. It's about managing and viewing the company as an asset while we're running it, while we're marching towards that point B. So when we get to that point B, we have as many options as we possibly can have. And we have clarity on what we could do to identify that next point B. So again, target equity valuation, we need to have a target normalized EBITDA, a target multiple, and a target debt uh, load. So therefore, the three levers that private equity focuses the most on, which is the same game we can all play, which is how do we increase our annual cash flow, so increase that normalized EBITDA, how do we then de-risk that cash flow, therefore increasing that multiple? And then how do we pay down debt on the way to that point B? Those three KPIs should be rolled into the annual plan and why it's so important that you and any partners you have or investors you have identify that target and that point B because then you're going to have to identify how you're going to fund the growth of that company. And then we're going to have to figure out how you're going to pay the taxes and how that's going to impact your ability to take distributions. So if you have partners, and I've done this now three times with three different partnership buyouts, is that if you have different partners who are different ages, 
and or you have different income needs or wealth creation on the equity side needs, then you're able to take that timeline and then take the available distributions and that available target equity valuation, call it that 12 million bucks and say, does this work for you, partner or investor? And does it work for me? And then it's ability to go back and forth saying, hey, you know what? I need more in distributions. Well, that will then impact our ability to fund the growth. Okay, well, let's push off the valuation target from 2030 to 2031. Hey, it's, it's, if that doesn't work for you, but do you see what my point? We can kind of go back and forth to massage that point A and point B to make sure that the timeline, the growth rate, the distributions and the taxes, the constraints that we all have are realistic because if ownership and all the owners at the top do not do this and we go into an annual planning meeting where we are expecting our executives to come up with projects, ERP implementations, we're going to roll out HubSpot, we're going to invest in AI, we're going to hire that executive, or we're going to increase and make that comp plan more rich or add annual bonuses. How in God's name do we know how much money we have available and whether we can even do this stuff and how that impacts our timeline and our goal if revenue is the goal and we have no idea whether these projects are creating value or not? And we're going to start breaking down what is the approach to get to this information. But here's why we want to do this is because if we build the point A and the point B and the goal like this, then as an owner, like for myself with Arcona, we can say, hey, we're funding the growth plan while paying our taxes and I can see what my available distributions will be in the future. So I can predict out what my distributions will be on top of my salary. So that way I can say, hey, I can see my income on the way to that target equity valuation. So I can see my future income through salary and distributions and my wealth creation. And I know that the strategic plan is going to get me there. And if it doesn't, then I can course correct. And that is the most powerful thing that I believe I watch business owners when they get that visibility, the anxiety of wondering, are we on track? Are we spending money in the right areas? Should I be doing something else? All that wonder just goes away and the noise dissipates, anxiety goes down, peace of mind goes up and you have the confidence to then look and manage your executive team to say, hey, I know, I now know that if we do what we need to do, we are going to get on track. And I think it also helps you keep the timeline tight instead of giving excuses of why you didn't hit a plan or why you didn't make a hard decision because hard decisions are just that they're hard decisions. But if we have a plan that we can reconcile it against, I think the ability to communicate to the rest of the team, like here's why we're doing this because it impacts our timeline or evaluation or we don't have enough funds for these reasons. Just clear communication. You don't have to give all the numbers, but I think people appreciate that with these targets and these right goals, the ability to get executives on board through a phantom stock plan and tie them directly to normalized EBITDA, the multiple net proceeds. If you were to ever transact, there's a high probability of being able to do that in a way that everybody's aligned and there's no resentment or drama. And there's a podcast and a mini series that I did last year about executive compensation. I will have the link in the show notes below. It's with Craig Rutledge and we're talking about all the different ways executives can get comp from short term to cash bonuses to benefits to phantom stock. So I, re I recommend checking that out within the context of this podcast interview. As you're thinking through what are the goals, how do I have these conversations with my partner? Me and my partner are not on the same page. 
There's a couple of things I would recommend. One is there's the Intentional Growth Starter Kit. You can always go check out the Intentional Growth Academy. That's the do it yourself. It's $9.95. So it's a thousand bucks. There's the coupon code below. But if you didn't want to commit to either of those yet, there's a podcast I did about ownership and leadership alignment with an M&A attorney where we break down how to have all these conversations about leadership roles, ownership roles, target valuations, distributions. And with Dan Grimsrud and the show notes, I have the link below. Highly recommend if you got partners, just really listen to that, listen to it together and then have a lot of good discussions because it is ownership's obligation in my mind, in my opinion, that to actually get this clear before going to your offsite annual planning meeting where you're going to be talking about how much money you're going to be spending and towards what goals and can you afford it and what's the timeline. So this is why the financial lens has to be there. Otherwise, we're just making stuff up. And my God, the amount of times I've been a part of situations like this or witnessed it or heard the drama and the fallout and the conflict because of this is so high. And I don't want that for anybody. So let's take an example. Let's say we have someone that going back to the million dollars in normalized EBITDA and they want to go to $2 million in normalized EBITDA over the next six years. Let's assume that then on the million dollars right now, just to kind of give an idea for the annual budget. So right now, our goal is to have an annual budget, not the whole six years. We will talk about how to get that six year out year projection and the value gap analysis. But what we're trying to accomplish is in 2024, how much funds are we going to have available to us and what are going to be the results of those funds? Where are we going to invest them and how does that impact my ability to take distributions and continue funding the growth of the plan? So let's say we take on a million bucks. I'm in Minnesota here. So let's say you're paying 300 grand in taxes. Woohoo. Um, and, uh, then therefore let's say the partnership. So it's myself and someone else that needs a hundred grand in distributions. Therefore, we now know there's only $500,000 available left to us. And by the way, the 500 grand after the distributions, this should include all the salaries that should be at market comp. So again, the salaries are taken care of in the income statement. So again, what we're trying to do is say, okay, above and beyond the salaries, I want 100 grand and so does my partner. So therefore, after taxes, we only have a half a million dollars left to invest. Then the question is, what do we do with it? And I hope the clarity that you eventually get is that if you're spending 500 grand in the business, you know exactly how that's going to have a return. So there's eight functional areas in the business that you could spend the money in or invest in. And we talk a lot about that in the Intentional Growth Academy, sales, marketing, planning, leadership, ops, finance, legal, and people. And with those, you can, the goal is to have all of them in balance. So that way you're investing and you're growing in equilibrium and you don't have sales and marketing. That's, you know, a rock star and there's no ERP system or financial lens. Cause you're going to tap out and hit the ceiling because you like, just like with our old family business, every dollar went back into marketing. But when I started, there was no org chart for 115 people. We had 24 vehicles with technicians in there having no idea how much inventory is in there, whether it's good or not good, whether we should write it off. So again, the purpose of these eight functional areas is to provide a lens then to say, okay, well, we need all of these functional areas in balance. Where do we invest the 500 grand that is our constraint? And instead of just investing in the areas that we like, because more times than I can count that I've been a part of planning meetings with our old family business or before our Kona or in other clients where people, even if you're running EOS, now, now let's start to break down like why these goals and why everything I've been talking about matters. Because if you sit down in an offsite planning meeting and you're trying to pick what to work on, a lot of times people pick up what to work on based on 
who's complaining the most, whose department is strapped based on feelings because people are working too much, but we don't know why, or we have a big client that needs something or something happened to the website. You, you get my drift here. And then it turns into someone that is the loudest, someone that stumps their feet the most, someone that has the most political power, been there the longest. It's all subjective. And I'll tell you what, for me and my perspective, I don't like drama. I don't want any tension and conflict. So all I want is an objective way to say, what are we going to work on? What is going to provide the most value? And through the eight functional areas, we can determine what's the weakest functional area that might need the dollars. And here's the kicker. Here's why this is so awesome is with this lens is because we could say, how are we going to pick those rocks and how much money do we have available? And if it's a one-time expense, like an ERP implementation, or we're going to have an executive recruiting fee of 50 grand, or we're hiring an EOS implementer or whatever it might be, those are one-time expenses that are add backs. So the reason net income is not going to be our main target, because that's where we play the tax game and all of the noise of all the expenses, the owner's perks and all that stuff goes through net income. And we can't see the story of the business. So with the normalized EBITDA, we can forecast out, we're going to make investments that are a use of cash. And the purpose of that use of cash is to increase the multiple and if we're increasing the multiple from a 5 to a 5.25 to a 5.5, the way we're doing that is by creating more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. And if we're creating more sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow, and we take that $300,000 ERP implementation or the $50,000 executive recruiting fee, we add it back to EBITDA so we're actually growing EBITDA and we're not freaking ourselves out because net income's lower because we invested in the business. And the goal is to go from a five to a 5.5. Again, think about if you're taking the five to a 5.5 on a million dollars in cash flow. That is a huge deal. So you're using cash to invest in the company to create more sustainable cash flow to grow that multiple. And we need to be focused on the debt too, because especially if you're trying to hand over the baton to a key executive leadership team, you don't want them to finance their way up to a large valuation. Back to my old family business story, if my father, Corey, and I would have sold the business in 2009, we lost 940,000 bucks that year, again, on revenue, who, you know, 21 million in revenue, which is why what revenue is not our main goal. But it also, if we would have sold the business in 2009, we would have owed the bank a couple million bucks. Therefore, equity valuation matters, not just enterprise value. Again, back to, we want to go from a million in EBITDA to 2 million. We've got 300 grand of taxes, 200 grand of distributions, leaves us $500,000 left over. The $500,000 left over, we're going to have to figure out when are we going to generate that 500 grand and how are we going to use it? We got to figure out how that's going to happen and when we are going to have the actual cash so we can actually make those investments and we're going to get to that. But the whole goal is million in normalized EBITDA, half a million dollars to invest, we have the lens of the eight functional areas to say, what are the functional areas that are weak? So that way the person that's the loudest doesn't get all the money. Then what we can say is, well, why are we doing this? Well, we're going to increase the multiple by de-risking the cash flow. We're paying attention to normalized EBITDA, not just net income, because these are add backs. Some of them might be. And then what we can start to do is say, when are we going to be able to make these investments? So then we can start taking that timeline. So if we have 12 months and we have four quarters and we have three main functions of sales and marketing, ops and finance, which I'm going to talk about how to do a budgeting process with those three using kind of the EOS functional areas and how the order should work together. But within those three functional areas, who's going to get the money 
and when, and how is that going to impact their rocks, those executives, KPIs, their comp plans, and then how does that all impact ownerships, timeline, and valuation go from the point A to the point B? So you might be thinking, how do we pick which rocks that we or which projects to work on and when? And if you have eight functional areas and they're out, out of balance, how do we determine which ones are out of balance or not? I highly recommend going and checking out the starter kit where I introduced the eight functional areas in principle number four. But I wanted to make a big distinction between strategic planning, a system like EOS, and then something like the eight functional areas with Ken Sanginario and the value opportunity profile. Strategic planning is where you and your operations team, again, the leadership team, not the ownership team, we're talking now about operations, where you have identified your highest winning position in the marketplace where people are coming to you and buying your products or services for a specific reason and your business model fits that reason and you've gone through a formal process to challenge your thinking, to understand why you're doing what you're doing. My big example would be is, at our, my old family business, we were in copiers. We built out the managed IT service offering, the software automation, so we could be to so we could be a business to business technology provider. And IT services was a way different operational model from comp plans to skill sets to cash conversion cycles to oh my god, a sales process compared to uh, the software automation compared to equipment and. We learned that the hard way over years, and we spent a lot of money learning that the hard way. And if we would have gone through something like the ANS, uh, the ANSOFS matrix or the BCG matrix or a flywheel, there's all these different tools, again, in that podcast that I, I mentioned, where you can challenge your thought processes to make sure that your company's strategy is the right strategy. That is different than an EOS and operating system where the definition of an operating system, kind of like your computer, you sit down. And you know what you're going to input into the operating system. That's the point of an operating system. If you input shit, it's going to pump out crap. And if all of a sudden, if you put in gold because you know exactly where you're going, why you're going there, intentional growth, you have a very clear, clearly identified outcome, that point B, and you know exactly what actions you need to do to get there. That is the point of an operating system. It's going to get you where you want to go faster, but it's predicated on you knowing where you want to go and why, having the right goals, understanding the right targets, and having the right financial lens. So we have to have all of those assumptions that you know what you're doing and why before we get into that EOS operating system annual planning meeting. So again, hopefully you've done strategic planning. That and the ownership budgeting, making sure that your point A, your point B are there. So, you know, you're, you know, your strategies, you know, your financial targets. Then now you get into the offsite meeting saying, okay, we have a half a million bucks. We have these eight functional areas. They're kind of out of whack. Where are we going to spend that money so we can get to our point B in that target equity valuation? Next, I want to move on to the budgeting process because the budgeting process is going to be crucial for us to know when we have the funds in what months. And the purpose of budgeting is not to just take last year's numbers, the revenue, the cost of goods and everything, and take that add five, maybe 7% because of inflation, divide by 12. That is what I call the hope plus 5% or 7% plan because it's not a plan. If me as a business owner wants to know, can I hire my chief executive officer in June of next year and I have a seasonal business, I need to make sure that I have $18,000 in cash and can afford that $18,000 payroll going forward. And if I can't see that cash position, then I'm just guessing. And the big problem that I have seen in the last decade is most people are projecting out just their income statement. So I believe that 
Everybody listening in here knows how to do that. We have our revenue, we have our cost of goods, we have our SGNA, overhead, OPEX, whatever you want to call it, and we forecast that out. However, that does not show us our actual cash position. It just shows how our income and our costs and our overhead is going to look. It doesn't have anything to do with can we have enough cash in June to hire that person, buy that piece of machinery, put some money down on buying a company or buying a building, which is what I care about, by the way. I care about cash and whether I can buy the stuff that I need to, uh, to buy to invest in the company or take out the distributions from an ownership perspective. So what we need to do is we need to break down the budgeting process to include all three financial statements. So we need to go from the income statement to then the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. And if you're listening in and you're about to shut off the podcast because you don't want to deal with this crap is this is for visionary and owners because you don't have to do any of the mathematical equations if you've got the right people next to you. And I believe with what I'm about to break down that you can take this concept Hand it to your CFO, hand it to your finance function, whoever it is, to get them to do it. And if they can't, honestly, it'll be a math and a skill set issue. And then you can figure out how you want to deal with that. But what I want to do is empower you with how to actually get the information I'm talking about of the visibility into the future, the distributions, the working capital, and the taxes. Now, what I'm going to do is going to break down the process of getting a budget in line that starts with sales and marketing, then goes to operations, and then ends with overhead SGNA, and then what you need to do to then hand it to your finance function to then tie it all together, build out the three financial statements and tie it to your target equity valuation so you have an idea of your gap between your point A and your point B. So if we start with sales and marketing, what we have to do, and I've done this with my old family business, I've done this at Arcona, so everything we're talking about right now, we live and breathe what we teach, and it starts with sales and marketing. I have been in the revenue function in every business that I've been a part of. So this is something that I have done at, at Arcona. I used to do it at the old family business. And what we have to do is we have to start with a general ledger, the GL structure that mirrors our business and the data that we want to see. So any products or services that have, have to be broken out, well, we want to see the margin and the different cash conversion cycles of each different product or service. We need to break those down line by line by line. And then what we need to do is we need to go month by month by month in the course of the next 12 months to say in each month, what are we going to sell of each of those products and services? And we have to go month by month by month because if we want to know how much cash we will have in the bank account in June for distributions, taxes, or any kind of investment, we have to know month by month by month what revenue and then cost of goods and the margins and then the overhead and tie in the balance sheet and the cash flow statement to see how much cash, not the net income, but how much cash we're going to have in June. That is the absolute goal. So therefore, if we go month by month by month, what we want to do is have a 50-50 chance of hitting that. What I mean by that is I'm going to give two examples is we had a home remodeling business where they crushed their budget in 2021 for obvious reasons, all the free money, everybody working from home. So they had a $5 million backlog in May because they had absolutely demand beyond belief. But what they were not able to do is actually recognize and fulfill those projects because they didn't have enough people, their cost of goods structure and their overhead structure was not there for them to be able to satisfy that $5 million in backlog. So they had backlog instead of a couple million dollars in cash. 
I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the cash available for distributions or reinvestment. So what we need to do is make sure that we have a 50-50 chance of hitting it. The opposite example would be is we had a client that is in manufacturing and they built out a new division where they bought a piece of machinery and then hired seven people and they missed their sales. Therefore, they had to do a riff, lay off those seven people and figure out what to do with that piece of machinery. So I say this because the 50-50 chance of hitting it, like myself, who's been in the revenue function, I want to have slight anxiety about it, but knowing that I can hit it. It can't be a layup, but it also can't be something that is so out of reach that we'll never hit it because what is going to impact is our cost of goods and the operations has to match up with what they're going to do and the margins that we need to hit to revenue line by line by line. So therefore, if we have sales that went month by month by month, line by line by line, so we can get the visibility in each month of the cash that we'll eventually get to. Then we go to operations. So the operations is over your cost of goods. This is why I love the, the three functional areas in EOS, as well as then the budgeting process, because revenue, cost of goods, and overhead are very similar to then sales and marketing, ops, and then finance. So if we're going to the next step, which is our cost of goods, the operations, service manager, whoever it is that's managing their cost of goods, we need to go line by line by line with the margins that we want to hit. And then we have to make sure that they're building that and tying it to the revenue. My favorite example about why this is so helpful and builds a healthy business is our old service manager, Pat Subniski. We were, we were talking about, uh, at the point when we were doing this with our business, we wanted to, he, I should say, wanted to send uh, all of our technicians to Canon to get certified on all the new products. I mean, it would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars and we would have been short technicians for an entire year sending people to New York to get certified. And we're like, hey, we can't afford that and have the margins be where we need them to be. By the, understanding the constraint, how the constraint is tied to point A and point B and the margins that we needed to hit tied to the sales, he came up with a great idea and I give all of Pat the credit where he said, let's send two of our service managers to New York and get certified to become train the trainers. We did that. We had then two people in our department and then we're training other technicians. So it was a few thousand dollars and we had a rotation of people getting trained by our own people. Again, that wouldn't have come to light had we not had a plan and had we not had a goal and constraints where we had to hit the margins that we had to hit. So again, service and ops and the cost overseeing cost of goods should identify how they're going to hit the margins that the company needs to hit that's tied to the sales goal that's 50-50 chance of hitting it month by month by month. And again, just to go back, the reason we have to do month by month by month is because if you're seasonal, this is going to be a huge deal. And a lot of people are seasonal and or if you're not seasonal, you might have different product lines or service lines that are inversely or inversely correlated to each other. So one might be up, the other one might be down, or you might make intentional choices to lean into a product or service in a downtime compared to the, if you have a downtime for your other services. So in our example, we, in our old business, we had 40% of our revenue coming in the Q4. So we had to account for that if I wanted to know how much cash was in each month. So again, seasonality will take into consideration all of this, and then we can layer that into sales and marketing revenue, line by line by line, and then in cost of goods with the margins, month by month by month, 
Then it goes to then your finance function. So the finance function oversees your SGNA, your OPEX, your expense, whatever you want to call it. And this person who is overseeing this has to go line by line by line to saying, okay, what do we need to run the business? And if there's owner's perks or if there's investments that are getting made and then sales and marketing or any other things, let's account for those ad backs because they're uses of cash, but we should be growing the normalized EBITDA and growing the multiple if we're making the right bets. But what we're doing is we have to then go to the finance function and say, hey, we need to then hit our target normalized EBITDA. The reason I would like to separate now net income and normalized EBITDA is because if we're taking the owner's perks out, if we're taking the one-time expenses or investments out, then the ownership group can do whatever they want. You know, when I say whatever they want within the legal parameters of saying, hey, we're running stuff through the business. There's noise in there. But what we want to do is see the visibility of that normalized EBITDA. It starts with net income, then you get to EBITDA, then you get to the normalization after those adjustments. Then we have that visibility of the one of the two numbers that valuations are based on normalized EBITDA. So I like this process because it starts with sales and marketing, then goes to service and operations, then goes to finance. And then with the income statement, we're able to get to that normalized EBITDA number with just the income statement that I think a lot of people are familiar and comfortable with. Then what we want to do is then build out the balance sheet and the cash flow statement to tie all three statements together so we can get the visibility into the future. And I'm going to explain how to do that. But if you're listening in and you're the visionary or you're in charge of revenue, you don't need to know how to do this. You just need to know that this is possible and this is the process so you can manage the people that actually are going to do this for you. Next, what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that your finance function, your CFO or whoever's managing your finance function is capable of building out your balance sheet and forecasting it out. I'm going to explain how to do that and then tying it to your cash flow statement, tying all three together to get you the owner, the visibility into your distributions, your taxes, your working capital and your target valuation. So the balance sheet has an interplay with the income statement because again, if you're selling things, a lot of times you're good to receivable that ends up as an asset on your balance sheet. If you don't get a receivable, you're having customer deposits, that's going to be a liability because you owe someone something at some point in time. And then what we need to do is then we have our cost of goods, which you have payables and payables, you're going to owe some money to someone and how often, how fast are you paying that? That's going to be a liability on your balance sheet. So we have this interplay between the income statement, the balance sheet with payables and receivables and inventory. And I think a lot of people understand that, but what most often people use their balance sheet for is to work with the bank, to increase the line of credit, increase the ability to leverage any kind of part of the business, take financing out, but not for data and analytics. And we need the balance sheet to be clean and accurate in order to get to the cash flow statement and be able to project out the cash flow statement into the future. So I'm saying this because it's important and we need this step. Otherwise, we can't get the information that we need to run the business as an asset like we want to and get the visibility. So the way to project out a balance sheet is by taking and understanding how fast are you paying your payables. So understanding how fast you're paying your payables and making an assumption there. And then also how fast you're collecting your receivables and then how much you're turning over your inventory if you have it. Those three essentially are your cash conversion cycle. And we're talking about working capital here. We are not going to get too much into this. Again, your CFO should be handling this if you have one. If not, I highly recommend you check out uh, our intentional growth starter kit, which I'm going to be breaking down in that starter kit 
exactly how to do this in the financials. And then you can show your CFO, director of finance, or reach out to us to do a complimentary financial assessment. But what we're doing is we're projecting out that balance sheet so that way we can get the cash flow statement. And the cash flow statement legitimately is just a mathematical calculation between the balance sheet between two periods of time. So what I mean by that is between the difference of November 1st and December 1st of your balance sheet, did cash go up or down? Did receivables go up or down? Did payables go up or down? Did inventory go up or down? And we, we need to be able to see that because that's a use of cash. And unless we see that, we have no idea whether we have any cash for distributions, taxes, or reinvestment. So again, back to my point is if you project out the income statement, then you can have someone mathematically project out the balance sheet and then mathematically tie it to the cash flow statement. So you, the visionary or president, CEO or owner, can get the visibility that you need of your asset. Therefore, what we're going to be able to then see is that trade off in the cash flow statement that says, hey, we are servicing the debt that we need to. We are paying our taxes. I can take out my distributions and there's enough cash left in after all of that and the working capital. And it's still tied to the target equity valuation and date in time that I want. Like, what a wonderful playbook. I mean, like we now finally have a roadmap between point A and point B every single month that we close off our income statement. It then should reconcile with the balance sheet and then the cash flow statement. We can see how well we're on track to that target equity valuation and that normalized EBITDA and we can see whether we're going to have the cash for the distributions and taxes that we want. I say this all because I know people are probably drinking through a fire hose right now, but I don't know about you, but I got super sick and tired of flying blind running a $20 million business with a couple million dollars in inventory, payables, receivables. Oh my God. And we're just wondering based on the income statement, hey, did we hit the revenue that we need to hit? Hopefully the margins are where we need them to be. So eventually we'll have some cash in the checking account. And that's exactly how I see at least 80% of businesses run revenue, optimized gross profit, and eventually there will be cash in the checking account. But essentially people are making decisions based on how much money is in the checking account today, having no idea what they'll, what they'll have in three to six months. And here are the colossal mistakes I'm watching people make every day towards the end of the year. The section 179, the tax wraps. I mean, we used to on the copier side used to actually promote that because, hey, get, you know, buy all your copiers now so you can get your write off. But what happens is I have watched and we've taken on clients where they bought a building because they, they were going to have a huge tax bill. So they bought a building, put like $4 million into that building. But then, and that was in like November of one year. And then the next calendar year in May, they didn't have any money for payroll because they were growing so fast. So, to avoid a couple hundred thousand dollar tax bill that we spent a bunch of money and then it's potentially sacrificed the entire mothership in six months because we did not have any visibility into the growth, not to mention our distributions or taxes or target equity valuation. And so if we're optimizing for net income in the tax game, we don't get any visibility into any of this stuff and we don't know how to grow value and make the trade-offs, the decisions on the trade-offs and the constraints that we have appropriately. Now I'm going to summarize and wrap us up so that way you have a couple action items that you can take away and hopefully bring this in to optimize your annual planning. 
One is identify the target equity valuation and the time and the date that you want that in. So you can get visibility into the couple components, the three major levers, which is what is the target normalized EBITDA that you're marching towards in that timeline? What is the range of multiples, the basic you know, conservative range of multiples that you want to hit when you get to that timeline? And then what is the debt structure or the debt load that you want so you can understand how to, what's your annual cash flow, what's your multiple on that cash flow, and then your debt? And then what that timeline will do is then allow us to see what are the available distributions and then how are we going to fund the company. So the next thing that you or any other ownership uh, has to do is identify after salary and taxes, what distributions do you want? So that way we have an idea of how much operating cash flow we're going to have. And if we're short, do you want to forgo some of those distributions or do you want to fund the company and the growth through a different mechanism like your line of credit, an SBA loan, a traditional loan, or any sort of you know funding mechanism like private equity or private investor, whatever it might be, we have a flavor of capital that's available but it's going to come with different strings attached and you may or may not want those, but that's your choice. So if you don't want to tap your line of credit, you want to push off your timeline. Or if you don't want to go get a different investor, maybe you want to forego some distributions. All of that is up to you, but the, the goal and the timeline and those KPIs will help us identify what constraints you might have and then how to solve for those constraints. Then well, once we've figured out what available cash we're going to have and capital we're going to have to fund the operations, then hopefully we've done a formal strategic plan, not just EOS, but an actual strategic plan that has mechanisms and models built in that is challenger thinking. So that way you've identified your highest winning impact position against all your competitors. Then you go into your annual planning if you're running an EOS type meeting to say, okay, now we have our strategy, we have our funding and our timeline and the financial lens. How and what rocks are we going to pick each quarter for our main three functions, sales and marketing, ops and finance with the available funds to get us to our timeline and our, our goal in the timeline that we have. Then what we can do is then pick the rocks and hopefully the rocks that we're picking are creating more sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. We're identifying whether they're addbacks or not. So that way we can measure normalized EBITDA, not just net income. Then what we can do is then tie KPIs to the, the sales and marketing function, the operation function, and the, the finance function. And if you have key level executives, here's what I love because I know people are talking about bonuses and like... If you're just giving people bonuses that are subjective, you're literally wasting money, potentially giving people bonuses to create resentment because they don't even know how they got them. What I like is by the time you get the bonuses, you say, hey, we have extra cash after my distributions, after the taxes, after the funding of the company, and we have some left over because we exceeded budget. By the way, here's a bonus, a cash bonus, executives or employees or however you want to distribute that. And if you wanted to install in a phantom stack, uh, phantom stock program for any key executives that you think should have a share in the upside, take and add it to your target equity valuation. So if your target equity valuation is five million dollars in 2030, and your executives each want a million bucks, well now it's eight. If there's a head of revenue, ops, and then finance, now it's eight million bucks, and they can earn their equity by exceeding the targets. But just make sure that you're able to fund that growth and it doesn't impact your distributions in a way that you didn't expect. I'm hoping that this allowed you to see what's possible 
if you have the right goal and you have the right mental model on how to think about all these uh, these different areas that need to be identified from strategic planning to finance to EOS and the annual planning and bonuses, etc., if you would like to explore what it's like to work with our Conet, where we build a financial dashboard out for people, we offer a complimentary financial assessment where we, my team will plug in our dashboard to your accounting package. But all you have to do to determine whether that's even something we should do is jump on a discovery call with me. I'm going to walk you through a couple questions. The link is in the show notes below. You schedule a quick discovery call with me. If it makes sense, we can uh, tee up to my team for a complimentary financial assessment so that way you can see how this could be a little bit easier if you wanted some help. I appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope your annual planning goes very well. And there's a bunch of podcasts in the show notes below that we're going to link to if you want to continue to dive further into annual planning. And we have a bonus episode, by the way, next week where I interview Ami, who is the founder of Multifunding. And what he does is he helps people find the debt through SBA for their goal. So with the last two episodes that we've just done, the conversation I have with Ami is so perfect because... He wants to make sure that if he's helping people get an SBA loan, that it fits their plan. But if people don't have everything we just talked about, people are just taking on debt, hoping that it's all going to work out. And I think you're going to love the conversation. I appreciate everybody for tuning in and I will see you next week.